Chapter 7, Part 2 of An Intimate View of Robert G. Ingersoll by Isaac Newton Baker. Recorded by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, Part 2 Abuse versus Argument Mr. Ingersoll knew well enough that a strong man, using his strength to combat prevailing error, no matter on what subject, would make enemies. This he expected in his own case from the ignorant, prejudiced, and unfair, but that professed champions of justice, love, and truth, divinely called to speak, should welcome every hateful rumor and give it credence and circulation from the pulpit, press, and platform, sometimes amazed and grieved him but oftener excited his pity and compassion and yet after all he would say it is but natural that those who expect their god to damn me hereafter should want to do a little of it here themselves why do they not answer my arguments why do not my orthodox foes fight fairly i want to say that if there is anything i like in the world it is fairness and one reason i like it so well is that i have had so little of it i can say if i wish extremely mean and hateful things i have read a great many religious papers and discussions and think that i now know all the infamous words in our language i know how to account for every noble action by a mean and wretched motive and that in my judgment embraces nearly the entire science of modern theology it does seem to me that if i were a christian and really thought my fellow-man was going down to the bottomless pit that he was going to misery and to agony for ever it does seem to me that i would try to save him it does seem to me that instead of having my mouth filled with epithets and invectives instead of drawing the lips of malice back from the teeth of hatred it seems to me that my eyes would be filled with tears it seems to me that I would do what little I could to reclaim him. I would talk to him and of him in kindness. I would put the arms of affection about him. I would not speak of him as though he were a wild beast. I would not speak of him as though he were a brute. I would think of him as a man, as a man liable to eternal torture among the damned, and my heart would be filled with sympathy, not hatred, my eyes with tears not scorn it is a mystery to me why the editors of religious papers are so malicious why they endeavor to answer argument with calumny is it because they feel the scepter slowly slipping from their hands is it the result of impotent rage is it because there is being written upon every orthodox brain a certificate of intellectual inferiority End quote the clergy it is only natural to expect that with this personal experience he could have had no very high regard for the clergy he could not see why a stripling just fledged from the theological nest should be called father and reverend he knew how ministers were made it used to be more than it is now considered an honor to have at least one member of a family called to preach the gospel usually he said it was the one with a delicate constitution the petted and spoiled child of indolent habits averse to manly and athletic sports who was picked out by the parents and friends as the candidate for 
holy orders he did not see why such a one should be divinely chosen and set apart while the latent lawyer or doctor or businessman or mechanic should be left without a call to him the choice was simply a very human one and often a great mistake he thought a good workman at a bench better than a poor parson in the pulpit schoolhouses he said are the real temples and teachers are the true priests he knew only few very few clergymen whom he could call his friends and instanced henry ward beecher dr henry m field and the rev alexander clark as among the number they were fair-minded and kindly spoken and respected his personality even if they could not accept his teachings as above stated he knew how most of those in the ministerial profession came to be there how they were ordained by the laying on of hands and anointed with holy oil the divine petroleum as he termed it of ecclesiastical ceremony one verified instance came to his knowledge that he thought might well enough illustrate the motive of many who accept the call to preach it was that of a young man in an eastern university whose reputation for honor and decency was so tainted that he was blackballed when seeking entrance into the greek fraternity of his fellow students in a class meeting before graduation the boys were invited to tell what calling they intended to pursue in life this young man said boys i'm going to be a minister they hooted him all right you wait and see shortcut first you get a call to some little country church then if you have the gift of gab you're called to the city get a big church marry the richest girl in the congregation and you're fixed for life he actually made good this forecast in every particular his early life maligned mr ingersoll's orthodox enemies spread the report that his early life was dissolute and depraved this was untrue he was genial jolly good-natured and companionable liked by all who knew him those competent to judge who knew him well from boyhood to manhood mayors city and county officials friends neighbors and prominent citizens over their own signatures attested by their sworn affidavits united in indignant denial of the cheap calumny another report industriously circulated and designed to belittle his honor as a soldier and his courage as a man and officer was that he tamely surrendered his regiment of cavalry to the confederate general forrest and was taken prisoner in a cowardly attempt to escape it is maliciously false his force was surrounded by greatly superior numbers and after a gallant but futile resistance like the wise and humane officer he was he decided to yield rather than cause useless bloodshed for this act he was to be commended not condemned it is enough to say that in all after years the surviving veterans of his command loved honored and almost idolized him Continuing the campaign of miserable lies, a newspaper paragraph widely circulated stated that Mr. Ingersoll's daughters were maudlin drunkards. A clergyman from his pulpit repeated the infamous story. When asked to retract, he took refuge, like a moral coward, behind the newspaper scrap and made no manly apology. He should have been indicted right on the heels of this unholy slander and quite naturally following it came the statement in a religious journal that mr ingersoll's daughters had repudiated their father's views on religion and joined the presbyterian church 
the truth is that with the exception that as a compliment to mr beecher whom their father esteemed they once went to hear him preach they never entered the door of an orthodox church and said they never wished to his only son mr ingersoll seldom took the trouble to answer these stories once in a while at the urging of friends he would reply to an accusation especially if there was an element of humor in the situation a prominent religious weekly published the following news for the enlightenment of its readers Quote, we are told on good authority that colonel ingersoll's only son was so addicted to cheap novel reading that his mind became affected thereby that he was quietly removed to a private asylum where he shortly afterward died End quote. to an inquirer who sent him the clipping he wrote quote, one my only son was not a great novel reader two he did not go insane three he was not sent to an asylum four he did not die and five i never had a son the truth is he said that arguments cannot be answered by personal abuse there is no logic in slander and falsehood in the long run defeats itself there was a time when a falsehood fulminated from the pulpit smote like a sword but the supply having greatly exceeded the demand clerical misrepresentation has at last become almost an innocent amusement remembering that only a few years ago men women and even children were imprisoned tortured and burned for having expressed in an exceedingly mild and gentle way the ideas entertained by me i congratulate myself that calumny is now the pulpit's last resort End quote. the obscene literature charge a more serious and vital attack on his moral character came from an influential clergyman in brooklyn who from his pulpit made the assertion that colonel ingersoll was in favor of the circulation of quote, obscene literature that corrupted the morals and debauched the minds of the youth of the land end quote he cited in evidence the untrue report that the colonel once signed a petition to congress favoring such circulation it was not so the preacher did not give the facts he was not honest if he did not know the circumstances of the case and the intention of the signers he still was culpable for the facts were all of record and of easy access but the preacher intended to leave and did leave the impression that mr ingersoll advocated the circulation through the mails of impure and licentious literature of course the very thought of such advocacy was foreign and abhorrent to him briefly stated all there was to the hateful charge is this when certain self-appointed censors religious fanatics presumed to decide that liberal or infidel literature was obscene and on that pretext endeavored to have it excluded together with his own writings from the united states mails the colonel denounced such an attempt as an infringement on religious liberty he fought for the inviolability and freedom of the mails from pharisaical intrusion and challenged the moral or legal right of christian inquisitors to commit the government to an act declaring infidel or agnostic or atheistic literature obscene if any further word were needed to show mr ingersoll's attitude on this question listen to this empathic even passionate declaration quote, 
i despise i execrate i denounce with every drop of my blood any man or woman who would engage either directly or indirectly in the dissemination of anything that is not absolutely pure any man or woman who would stain with lust the sweet and innocent heart of youth such a one i despise with all my heart one of my objections to the old testament is that it is not a fit book to be read by either old or young it contains passages that no minister in the united states would read to his congregation for any reward whatever there are chapters that no gentleman would read in the presence of a lady there are chapters that no father would read to his child there are narratives unfit to be told and the time will come when mankind will wonder that such a book was ever called inspired i was and am in favor of the destruction of every immoral book in the world i was and am in favor not only of the law against the circulation of such filth but one it executed to the letter in every state of this union End quote. his forbearance and sympathy let us now see how this patient and forgiving man received and endured these things he was generally silent even under great provocation his friends were often indignant and urged reply and retaliation he would not gratify them only in the slanderous attack upon his moral character involved in the obscene literature charge did he consent to take legal action which resulted in a plea of avoidance by the clerical defendant and he pursued the case only far enough to reveal the facts and establish his unclouded reputation all slander and abuse he endured with a calm philosophy he always held himself open to conviction and there never was a man readier to acknowledge an error admit a truth or right a wrong i have known him to do it many times and to do it gladly gracefully beautifully he had pity and forbearance for the weak and erring he was tender compassionate merciful he pleaded for the criminal for reform in the method of treating him and urged before state and national conventions the duty of society toward him he did not think that all criminals were always and only irretrievably bad a convict whom he had caused to be released from the joliet penitentiary was certainly not incorrigible the colonel gave him a suit of clothes and some money in a few months a fine-looking man with the bearing of a gentleman came to the colonel to thank him again and again and to return the money which he said he had only borrowed in mr ingersoll's view the object of punishment should be reformation not retaliation rescue not revenge only such punishment should be inflicted as the safety of society demanded he was bitterly opposed to the whipping post believed that it degraded the whipper as well as the whipped and disgraced the state that resorted to it as for capital punishment he regarded it as legal murder pure and simple and believed that it made more criminals than it ever dropped from the scaffold or seated in the electric chair intellectual hospitality mr ingersoll emphasized the necessity of free thought every man should do his own thinking and he should not be hindered or hampered in the exercise of it not only had he the right but it was his duty as well as privilege to form honest opinions and give honest expression to them he claimed this right for himself and accorded it to all others 
he persistently upheld the right of private judgment as against all powers systems creeds and opinions only by its fearless exercise he held could the best and highest in man be developed claiming no infallibility for himself he was tolerant of the views and opinions of others he invited criticism and argument loved debate but he was not disputatious or offensive not excited or heated in voice or manner but slow-pulsed and calm and deferential toward those who differed with him it was indeed a treat to argue with him he not only respected but he admired the one who honestly opposed him if he could give quote, a reason for the faith that was in him End quote. his agnosticism as before remarked it is not the purpose of the writer to enter into a discussion of mr ingersoll's position on religious and theological questions but simply and in merest outline to attempt worthily to state it he was an agnostic and wanted to be recognized as such i do not know was his reply to many of the great problems of life and destiny Quote, i wish i did know but will never pretend or say that i do when i know that i do not i have the same sources of information that others have all they have and i know that others do not know the clergy know that i know that they know they do not know End quote. This was not said in a facetious or boastful way, but as expressing his sincere and earnest convictions. Quote, I do not deny. I do not know. But I do not believe. I believe that the natural is supreme, that from the infinite chain no link can be lost or broken, that there is no supernatural power that can answer prayer, no power that worship can persuade or change, no power that cares for man. I believe that with infinite arms nature embraces them all, that there is no interference, no chance, that behind every event there are necessary and countless causes and that beyond every event will be and must be the necessary and countless effects man must protect himself he cannot depend upon the supernatural upon an imaginary father in the skies he must protect himself by finding the facts in nature by developing his brain to the end that he may overcome the obstructions and take advantage of the forces of nature End quote liberty with responsibility quote, thought and speech must be free the man or men who would put a chain upon the brain or a padlock on the tongue are heirs of the inquisition the enemies of society the foes of human progress End quote. this liberty of thought and speech did not with him mean license he was always careful to make this distinction and to emphasize it liberty with responsibility was his doctrine men must bear the consequences they do bear them we reap what we sow act and consequence are inseparable and no power human or divine can step between to change this law my liberty ends where yours begins was his constant definition of the limit of freedom on a future life as to a future conscious existence of the individual ego after death he said quote, i do not know i never have denied the immortality of the soul i have simply been honest i have said 
I do not know. One thing I do know, and that is that neither hope, nor fear, nor belief, nor denial can change the fact. It is as it is, and it will be as it must be. We wait and hope. There is in death, as I believe, nothing worse than sleep. End quote. To those who asked, why, if there is no conscious future state, should the hope be so universally implanted in the human breast? He replied, Love was the first to dream of immortality, not religion, not revelation. We love, therefore we wish to live. The hope of immortality is the great oak round which have climbed the poisonous vines of superstition. The vines have not supported the oak. The oak has supported the vines. As long as men live and love and die, this hope will blossom in the human heart. End quote. He has repeatedly declared, quote, I would not destroy the faintest ray of human hope, but I deny that we get our idea of immortality from the Bible. It existed long before the time of Moses. We find it symbolized through all Egypt, through all India. Wherever man has lived, he has made another world in which to meet the lost of this. The history of this belief we find in tombs and temples wrought and carved by those who wept and hoped. Above their dead they laid the symbols of another life. We do not know. We do not prophesy a life of pain. We leave the dead with nature, the mother of us all. Under the bow of hope, under the seven-hued arch, let the dead sleep. End quote. His attitude on this question he has put in these rhythmical lines, one of his many prose poems. Quote, we do not know, we cannot say, whether death is a wall or a door. The beginning or end of a day, the spreading of pinions to soar, or the folding forever of wings. The rise or the set of the sun are an endless life that brings rapture and love to everyone. End quote. On the Existence of a God On the existence of a God, he was again an agnostic. In one short sentence, every word a monosyllable, he has stated a whole philosophy on the subject. Quote, we go as far as we can, and the rest of the way we say, God. End quote. Could it be? Has it ever been put in clearer, shorter, simpler form? When we have reached the limit of human knowledge, of human thought, the rest of the way, the infinite beyond, the unknown and unknowable, the eternal mystery, we call God. On this vague and shadowy conception as a foundation, on this human guess, have been built all the creeds and systems, doctrines and dogmas of all religions that have bound and blinded, bewildered and cursed the race. For himself, when he reached the limit of the known, he stopped and waited for further light, refusing to follow blind guides leading the blind into the labyrinths of fear and superstition of faith and despair. Of one thing he was sure, there could not be a God such as the Bible describes in the Orthodox worship. There could not be a God of the Jews any more than of the Gentiles, of the Egyptians, the Hindus, the Assyrians, or any other of the races of men. 
vishnu and brahma isis and osiris jupiter and juno all the gods of grecian and roman mythology were alike the creatures of human hopes and fears ambitions and assumptions and all equally divine and worthless he was careful however in deference to those who mistook and misstated his ideas of god to make this declaration Quote, let me say once for all that when i speak of god i mean the being described by moses the jehovah of the jews there may be for aught i know somewhere in the unknown shoreless vast some being whose dreams are constellations and within whose thought the infinite exists about this being if such an one exists i have nothing to say for i know nothing there may be a god he further held but if so he cannot be he is not the infinite fiend that ignorant barbarous and savage men have created and worshipped a god who made the world pronounced it good and then permitted it to become bad so bad that he had to destroy it and begin over again repeopling it however with beings whom he knew would be just as wicked he could not conceive of a good or just god who would order his children to slay one another who waged wars of conquest and extermination tolerated slavery and polygamy commanded religious persecution laughed at the calamity of his enemies and mocked at their fears a god who slaughtered old men and women young men and maidens innocent babes at their mothers breasts and tortured even dumb cattle for the sins of their owners who in his wrath sent fire and sword pestilence and famine lightnings and tempests earthquakes and volcanoes snakes and vermin upon his chosen people and his enemies to make them fear and love him such a conception of deity was to him simply monstrous to his mind it was but the deification of all the weaknesses and passions of men their anger jealousy cruelty hatred and revenge a being invested with infinite power and wisdom to carry out his will and to crown all and more infamous than all a god who at the last would punish any of his erring creatures with consuming fire and be himself the keeper of an eternal penitentiary he labored all his life and with all his powers to free mankind from the thraldom of such a conception of a supreme being he used to say quote, from the aspersions of the pulpit from the slanders of the church i seek to rescue the reputation of the deity it has been said an honest man is the noblest work of god i say an honest god is the noblest work of man End quote. religions decay and die Mr. Ingersoll believed, from the history of all ages past, that religions, like individuals and nations, have their periods of youth and maturity, decay and death, and he recalls for us this history in the eloquent passage from his lecture on the gods. Quote, in that vast cemetery called the past are most of the religions of men, and there, too, are nearly all their gods. The sacred temples of India were ruins long ago over column and cornice over the painted and pictured walls cling and creep the trailing vines brahma the golden with four heads and four arms vishnu the sombre the punisher of the wicked with his three eyes his crescent and his necklace of skulls 
siva the destroyer red with seas of blood kali the goddess draupadi the white-armed and krishna the christ all passed away and left the thrones of heaven desolate along the banks of the sacred nile isis no longer wandering weeps searching for the dead osiris the shadow of typhon's scowl falls no more upon the waves the sun rises as of yore and his golden beams still smite the lips of memnon but memnon is as voiceless as the sphinx the sacred fanes are lost in desert sands the dusty mummies are still waiting for the resurrection promised by their priests and the old beliefs wrought in curiously sculptured stone sleep in the mystery of a land lost and dead odin the author of life and soul vili and v and the mighty giant ymir strode long ago from the icy halls of the north and thor with iron glove and glittering hammer dashes mountains to the earth no more broken are the circles and cromlicks of the ancient druids fallen upon the summits of the hills and covered with the centuries moss are the sacred cairns the divine fires of persia and of the aztecs have died out in the ashes of the past and there is none to rekindle and none to feed the holy flames the harp of orpheus is still the drained cup of bacchus has been thrown aside venus lies dead in stone and her white bosom heaves no more with love the streams still murmur but no naiads bathe the trees still wave but in the forest isles no dryads dance the gods have flown from high olympus not even the beautiful women can lure them back the danae lies unnoticed naked to the stars hushed forever are the thunders of sinai lost are the voices of the prophets and the land once flowing with milk and honey is but a desert waste one by one the myths have faded from the clouds one by one the phantom host has disappeared and one by one facts truths and realities have taken their places the supernatural has almost gone but the natural remains the gods have fled but man is here End quote. as to the bible it is hardly necessary to add that with the views already expressed mr ingersoll could not believe the bible to be the inspired word of god he regarded it as simply a human book a very human book a history more or less fragmentary of the jewish nation and people as such it was the product of the times when its different parts were written it reflects naturally the faults and follies the weaknesses and errors the customs and habits and opinions of its writers and of the people for whom they wrote it contains along with its traditions and religious teachings many wise and moral maxims and exhortations appealing to the higher and nobler in man with all its admitted beauties and excellencies however there is so much that is trivial and false and contradictory and impossible that its claim to divine inspiration seems to many to be an absurdity to mr ingersoll's mind all the earmarks show its human origin its history and chronology its astronomy and geology its science and philosophy its biology anthropology theology and demonology all its ologies are ignorant crude and impossible 
its myths and miracles childish traditions and superstitions its immoral and anti-natural precepts and examples show absolutely its purely human origin he thought and said that in his judgment adam was not a perfect gentleman according to the nineteenth century standard and that moses and aaron joshua and jephthah abraham isaac and jacob david and saul and solomon jonah samson jeremiah and elijah with other worthies of the old testament were a sorry lot most of whom if living today would probably be in the penitentiary besides he said there are many bibles as there are many religions sacred scriptures of other races and people some of them of a civilization superior to and an antiquity greater than the jewish to say nothing of the many differing manuscripts and translations books lost that have not been found books left in that should have been left out and that were admitted or excluded into or from the sacred canon by the votes of human councils often by narrow majorities and after heated and angry discussions together with the many interpolations anachronisms and contradictions that mark these sacred books all these testify to their very natural earthy origin my bible quote for thousands of years men have been writing the real bible and it is being written from day to day and it will never be finished while man has life all the facts that we know all the truly recorded events all the discoveries and inventions all the wonderful machines whose wheels and levers seem to think all the poems crystals from the brain flowers from the heart all the songs of love and joy of smiles and tears the great dramas of imagination's world the wondrous paintings miracles of form and color of light and shade the marvelous marbles that seem to live and to breathe the secrets told by rock and star by dust and flower by rain and snow by frost and flame by winding stream and desert sand by mountain range and billowed sea all the wisdom that lengthens and ennobles life all that avoids or cures disease or conquers pain all just and perfect laws and rules that guide and shape our lives all thoughts that feed the flames of love the music that transfigures in raptures and enthralls the victories of heart and brain the miracles that hands have wrought the deft and cunning hands of those who worked for wife and child the histories of noble deeds of brave and useful men of faithful loving wives of quenchless mother love of conflicts for the right of sufferings for the truth of all the best that all the men and women of the world have said and thought and done through all the years these treasures of the heart and brain these are the sacred scriptures of the human race End quote. End of chapter seven part two